Well, good morning again, church. We are in the book of First Peter. We jumped into this a couple weeks ago. Hardships, holiness, and hope. Hardships, holiness, and hope. And what we hope to do is show how those three big ideas are all connected. And so a couple weeks ago, we kind of kicked off the book of First Peter. We made it through verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 9. And then last week at our outdoor service, Pastor Mark took us through 10, 11, and 12. And now we're jumping into the next section. In my, in my Bible, there's a little heading there that says, called to be holy. So we're going to talk about holiness today. We're going to talk about how grace makes us holy. How grace makes us holy. And I have two big uh, points today. What is holiness? So we're going to, in point number one, we're going to set a little bit of the stage and do a little groundwork on what is holiness. And then number two, how grace makes us holy, we'll, we'll dig in a little bit more into the text itself and try to see Peter's logic here for how grace or hope makes us holy. So, holiness, grace. Uh, it's, it might be easy to think that those are two separate concepts. God, sometimes God is holy and sometimes God is gracious. God is holy, um, and, and, then, and then, oh, well, okay, I'll be nice to you. And then ter God turns on the mercy, as if those are two separate character traits of our God. But what we want to try to understand today is that they are not two separate character traits at all of our God, that we cannot separate those two things. Holiness. So what does it mean to be holy? It, the word literally means to be set apart. So sanctified. Uh, Peter's already used that word way back up in verse 2, in the sanctification of the Spirit. It's the same uh, root word there for the word for holy. So set apart, set apart to a purpose. So let me share an illustration with you. This is a planter that my daughter made. Uh, my daughter Victoria makes uh, ceramics pottery, and this planter was in her smash box. And as the name implies, the smash box are the pots that are going to get smashed. So she didn't want it anymore. It was, it was trash to her. So, you know, one day she'll take it all out back by the dumpster, she'll smash it all with a hammer and throw it away. Well, I was at her house and I said, hey, I can do something with that. Don't smash it. So I took it. And I took it home, and you, and you can look at it, you can say, well, that looks pretty good, but if you look close, the color's a little off right here, the shape's a little wonky, it's not a perfect circle, you know, and so it, it didn't meet her personal standard of perfection. But then I took it, and, and last night I took it home, put some dirt in it, put a plant in it, and I gave it new life, didn't I? I gave it a purpose. What did I do to this planter? I made it holy. I made it holy. I set it apart for a purpose, to hold this plant right here. Now, this pot's not going to get smashed because it's been set apart. Is the pot perfect? 
No. Is the pot holy? Yes. That's what holiness means. Holiness is when God takes something and says, now this will be for this. Now this fabric's going to be in the priest's clothes, and so instead of just being regular silk, now it's holy. Now this table is going to be used in the tabernacle or in the temple, so instead of just being a normal table, it's holy. This jar, this bowl, you know, whatever it was, whatever the, the piece of furniture was that they were using, when God declared it to be holy, it became holy. Let me say that again. When God declared it to be holy, it became holy. So Peter quotes Leviticus, which says, Be holy as I am holy. So let's start with God. God is holy. God is holy. He is unique. He is different. He is otherly. He is set apart. But what sets God apart? What makes God different from all the other gods of Egypt or, or gods throughout ancient history? Now we have to dig into His character, don't we? What is God's character that sets Him apart? God is transcendent. He is beyond us. Your way, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are as far as the, as the universe is above the earth. God is transcendent. But at the same time, God is imminent. God is close. God is truth. But at the same time, God is grace. God is justice. But at the same time, God is mercy. And so when we put all of these character traits together, we have a holy God. See, it's easy for us to think of holy. When, when I say God is holy, probably the first thing that comes to your mind is stay away. Stay, keep away. But let me show you. Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy. We just sang it. Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah is brought into the throne room of God. Do you remember? And the, and the heavenly creatures are around him and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what's Isaiah's response? Isaiah's response is, woe is me, for I am unclean, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people with unclean lips. And then God in His holiness looks at Isaiah and says, that's right, get out of my presence. No. That's not what happened, is it? God says, that's right, I'm holy. Now come here. Now come here. Let me touch you. Let me get close. On the mountain, Exodus 34, on the mountain, Moses says, show me your glory. Show me your holiness. God shows up and he declares his glory to Moses. I am the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I will forgive every sin to the thousands, but I will punish every sin to the threes and the fours. On the boat, Luke 5, great catch of fish. Throw your nets on the other side, fellas, Jesus says. And Peter pulls up that net full of fish. And what's his response? He falls down in front of Jesus and he says, Depart from me, for I am unclean. I am a wicked man. And Jesus says, That's right. Get out of here, Peter. No. <laughs> Jesus says, Stick with me, kid. 
Follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Do you see it? God's holiness, yes, it means that he's transcendent, he's beyond us, but it also means that he comes close. Both are part of his holiness. Exodus 3. First time the word holy is used in your Bible. You know the story. You've seen the movie, right? Moses, burning bush. Take off your shoes, Moses. You are standing on holy ground. That's the first time the word holy is used in the Bible. Stay away. Be careful. God's holy. Don't get too close. And yet in that conversation, God says to Moses this incredible truth. He says, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, and I will be with you. Isn't that amazing? See, that's God's holiness. God's holiness is is equal parts, stay away, but I'm coming to get you. (laughs) I'm going to be with you. I'm coming after you. That's the holiness of God. And so here in 1 Peter, look at verse 17. How does Peter describe our God? And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. He calls God a judge who judges our deeds. Now, I don't know about you, but if that phrase stood alone, that's the most terrifying phrase in the Bible, isn't it? That there is a perfect God who judges each person's deeds. I I don't know anybody that's looking forward to that. I mean, in, in Christ, we are. But apart from Jesus, I don't know anybody who's looking forward to that. Most of humanity, maybe those of you here and those of you watching, most of us think that that judgment day is going to look like this big cosmic scale and God's going to pile all your good deeds on one side and all your bad deeds on the other side and hopefully the good's going to outweigh the bad. That's how most people see eternity. They see their relationship with God. But the Bible makes it clear that that, that's a recipe for disaster. Because listen... If we add up all the bad deeds, all the bad thoughts, all the sins of commission and omission, let's get real, folks. The bad is going to outweigh the good. On top of that, the Bible says, look, really, it only takes one bad. The book of James says, if you violated one commandment in God's law, you're guilty of the whole thing, of violating the whole thing. It'd be like standing in front of the judge and saying, well, I only murdered one person. That doesn't work, does it? And so we have, this, we have this, this lie going around in our heads that says somehow we can survive this judgment, this terrifying judgment of the Lord. But, the, but Peter shows us there's only one way to survive this judgment. It is to see God as our Father who has ransomed us. We call on Him as Father who judges. And then as He continues into verse 18, knowing that you were what? Ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, from your self-righteous ways. 
not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of who? Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Peter's taking us back to the Passover. Do you remember that story? It's a little bit after the burning bush. You got burning bush, ten plagues, Passover. On Passover, what happened? God said, I am going to come through and I am going to kill every firstborn son. Not just Egyptian firstborn sons, but even Hebrew firstborn sons. Make no mistake, folks, it was God who was doing that. In the movies, it's some little black cloud floating around, or maybe you think it was this angel of death. It doesn't say that. In Exodus, it says, God says, I am going to kill your sons. In other words, you owe me your firstborn sons, I am going to take them. But that same God also said this, but if you take a lamb, kill the lamb in your son's place, take the blood, put it on the doorposts, I will pass over you. Same God said both those things, didn't he? And it was a picture of our God being, as Peter says right here, our God being that lamb, the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. It foreshadowed God himself on the cross. That's the holiness of God. Both are the holiness of God. Let me ask you, have you painted the blood of Jesus onto the doorposts of your heart? Have you said... I can, I, I'm, I'm going to go with the scale thing, Brady. I'm going I'm to roll the dice and hope God's in a good mood that day. That's not how God works. God doesn't work on good moods and bad moods. God works on a perfect standard of righteousness. But he also works on a perfect standard of righteousness, righteousness that he himself has satisfied. We sang about that too, didn't we? Christ, my perfect righteousness. What are you trusting in today? Will you trust in the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb without blemish and without spot for your salvation? I pray that you will. I pray that you have. And so to be holy for us, okay, God is holy. God is who He is. That's His name, isn't it? Moses said, God, what's your name? I can't go in there without a name. And God said, this is my name. I am. I am that I am. I will be what I will be. In other words, I'm holy. I, I, am, I am what I say I am. So what is holiness for us? Holiness is when we are what we are. We be what we be. We is what we is. <laughs> Holiness is not less than moral purity, but it is much, much more than just moral purity. Let me give you two examples. Two great stories of holiness. The one is the story of the two sons that Jesus told. The prodigal son. Do you remember it? There's a dad, and he's got two sons. 
And the younger son says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now, and I'm going to go out and waste it and spend it on whatever I want to do. We would all agree that that kid is not holy, right? He lived a life of license. He wasted the money on God knows what. He rejected his dad. The other son stayed home, didn't he? The older son. The Bible says, Jesus says, that the older son claimed to have done everything his dad ever asked. I've done everything you've ever asked me to do, dad. He was morally upright, wasn't he? But let me ask you this hard question. Was he holy? No, he wasn't holy. You know why? Because he wasn't being a son. He didn't love his dad. He didn't love his brother. He loved himself. Some of you listening to me, you're chasing the unholiness of younger brother. You're doing whatever you want to do. Maybe you're betting on, you know, oh, well, God will get me off the hook someday. Others of you, you're living a life of unholiness like the older brother, trying to earn everything from, from God, holding God in your debt. Well, if I'm really good, if I stay sexually pure, then God will owe me a spouse. What? If I follow all these amazing Christian principles on parenting, I will train up my child in the way he should go, and then my kids will be perfect forever. What? What? So what we're doing is we're just, we're just using God in either case. There's another great story of holiness. Toy Story. Oh, dark picture. That's Buzz Lightyear. And on Buzz Lightyear's, bottom of Buzz Lightyear's shoe is the name Andy. Has anybody seen it? If you haven't seen Toy Story 1, 2, and 3, and let me just say we, we forget that there's a 4. We have rejected it. It is anathema. Uh, not part of the canon. Um, but if you have seen Toy Story 1, 2, and 3, you have seen a great tale of holiness. Be what you are. Buzz Lightyear shows up in Andy's room and he thinks he's a space ranger. I am here to save the world. And at one point, Woody grabs him and says, you are a child's plaything. Do you remember? And then Buzz gets trapped in Sid's house and he tries to fly. And he crashes and his arm breaks off. And he realizes... I'm a toy. I'm a toy. And as they have to escape, there's the poignant moment where he lifts up his shoe, he lifts up his shoe, and he looks at it. Andy. I exist for Andy. Do you see it? Why are you here? Why do you exist? For God. You're an image bearer. You're, you're his delight. You're a worshiper. You're a servant. You're a priest king. You're a lover of God and his creation. And if all that is true, then verse 13, therefore, therefore, prepare your mind. What are we? What are we in Christ? We are the ransomed, 
holy sons and daughters of God living in the hope of Jesus' return and our glorious eternity with Him. That's what you are. That's who you are. And if that is true, that that is what we are, if Jesus has written His name on our boot, then be what you are. That's holiness. Then be what you are. Be a worshiper. Be an image bearer. Be holy. Be kind. Be generous. Be loving. Be gracious. Be forgiving. Be pure. So how does grace make us holy? Hopefully you're already starting to put it together in your head from what we've said so far. Brady, aren't, wait, aren't grace and holiness in conflict? Ah, like holier than thou people. I hate those guys. Holier than thou people have no grace. They're just judgmental. We all know a few of those, right? And holier than thou is not what Peter's asking for here. Please understand. That is not what Peter's saying. In fact, Isaiah the prophet says, when you try to be holier than thou, God hates that. He spits that out. It's a, he actually says it's a burning stench in God's nostrils. But maybe, maybe you're on the other side. Grace. Grace doesn't bring holiness. Brady, you talk about grace too much. If you keep talking about grace so much, people are just going to start sinning. I've had lots of those conversations over the past 13 years, actually, from people in this church. you got to stop teaching grace so much, Brady. Too much grace? you got to balance grace with some good old-fashioned rules and law. Okay. That's not what Peter says. <laughs> Peter says that there's a better way. Did you know that grace actually removes our sin? Did you know that grace doesn't just forgive our sin, but it actually makes us want to not sin anymore? Did you know that? Calvin called it double grace. The double grace of God. Forgives sin and makes us pure. Rock of ages. Be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. See, when we're under law... When we are under law, we are left striving to achieve holiness or maintain holiness. But this only leads to death. Because when we try to achieve holiness, what inevitably will happen? We will fail. We will fail. And as we fail, we will over time failing without grace, without mercy as part of the equation in our brains, as we fail over and over and over, eventually we will be filled with despair and we'll quit. Or we will try to achieve our own holiness or maintain our own holiness. And as long as I look at you, 
as long as I look at you, as long as I'm better than you, as long as I'm a little bit more holy than that guy, I'm okay. I'm okay. Right? So I become a Pharisee. I become a legalist. As long as my behavior is just better than those people. As long as I'm not like those protesters. As long as I'm not like those liberals. As long as I'm not like who, you know, whoever. Pick your favorite people that you don't like. As long as I'm better than them, I'm okay. That's not holiness, folks. That's pride. That's self-righteousness. And that person is probably farther from the kingdom than the person who's, who's running away from God a thousand miles an hour. Because at least this person might have a pigsty experience one day and come to his senses, right? He might wake up one day eating the same food as the pig and go, this ain't working. But the person who self-righteously is comparing themselves to everybody else, as long as I surround myself with, with worse Christians, as long as I stay on social media enough and can judge everybody else's stupid opinion, I'm fine. I'm holy. But that's not holiness, folks. That's death. That's pride. Grace is a better way. Grace is actually the only way. Grace says you are declared holy. You are imputed the holiness of Jesus Christ. There is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen? You see, when that is taken, when, when holiness is no longer the thing that I am trying to achieve on my own or maintain on my own, when I recognize that Christ has handed it to me, now holiness in this new freedom, holiness actually becomes beautiful to me, doesn't it? It actually becomes this thing that I want more of. And now I begin to pursue, Mark used the phrase last week, I think it was grace-driven effort. I begin to pursue holiness with grace-driven effort. The sin starts to look uglier, doesn't it? God starts to reveal the self-righteousness as He comes near us, as He opens up His arms to us. I'm going to show you four steps in here that show us how grace makes us holy. Here we go. Number one, you have to know that you are holy in Christ. Verse 18. Knowing. First word of verse 18, what is it? Knowing that you were ransomed from the old futile ways inherited by your forefathers, from your forefathers, not with perishable, but with the precious blood of Christ. He was foreknown, verse 20, before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him, look at this, 21, through Him you are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. You have to know that you are the children of obedience, He called them earlier, verse 14, as children of obedience. That's what we are Christian, 
Do you know what you are? Do you know what you have? You have a superpower. Do you know that? You have everything. If it's Christ's, it's yours. Do you believe that? Do you know that? That's why we come to church to remind you, to remind me of what we have. Number two. Okay, the, the knowledge, knowledge dump, knowledge dump. It's coming in. I know it, I know it. But number two, we have to set our minds upon this hope of future grace when Christ returns. We got to let it soak into our minds. This is the first command in the, in the book. The first command. Verse 13, Therefore, having prepared your minds, past tense, and being already sober-minded, command, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind is what it literally says. If you've got a King James in front of you, it says that. Gird up, right? Pull, pull up that skirt. We're running into battle, boys. We've got to pull up that dress, tie it off, because I don't want to be tripping. So I've got to be ready for battle. Gird up the loins of your mind. With what? With what? Hope. Hope of what? Grace. Hope of grace. Hope of grace when? When Christ returns. This Christian is what we must be meditating upon day in, day out. Put it on the mirror. Put it, put it on your car dashboard. Put it all over your phone. Sing it. Listen to it. Preach it to yourself. Talk about it with each other. Talk about it in your groups. Talk about it in your family. Talk about it at the dinner table. We must saturate our minds with the hope of future grace when Christ returns. Peter did not start with our behavior, did he? He started with our minds. He started with our minds. Christian, that's important. Too often, the way we help each other, or you know, help each other, we see a bad behavior in someone's life. We see a bad behavior in our children's life. We squash the bad behavior. Squash the bad, and we never deal with the mind, do we? We don't deal with the way someone's thinking. What's their mind upon? Why do they do what they do? If you don't get to that level, then you're just going to be left with behavior modification. And one bad behavior will just be replaced with a different bad behavior. Or with pride because I overcame my addiction. Look at me. Number three. Third thing. Let your desires be conformed to Christ. We got to know what we have. We got to know who we are. We can't be holy if we don't know what we are. Number two, we have to set our minds on the return of Christ. That when Christ returns, everything is taken care of. Everything I've given up, everything I've sacrificed, everything I've set aside, I get back in Jesus. And so number three, my desires are conformed to Christ. Don't let your desires, look at what he says, don't, verse 14, do not let your desires 
be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, the desires, the lusts of your former ignorance. This means we have to replace desire with desire. We have to replace desire with desire. Our Buddhist friends would say that the key to happiness is eliminating all desires, right? If you love nothing, you'll never be hurt or disappointed. That is not the teaching of Christ. Christ says you need to desire more deeply. You need to love more deeply. You need to see that your desire for for sex is actually a deeper desire for God. You need to see that your desire for acceptance, the reason you gossip and want to feel good as you gossip is because there's a deeper desire for God and for what God can offer, the acceptance that God can offer, the love that God can offer. Find the deeper desire in your heart. Christian, it's there. Christian, it's there. You got to drill. You got to let people around you help you drill down in to find it. And then number four, in fear of God, choose holy conduct. In the fear of God, choose holy conduct. Now we're at the behavior level, aren't we? 15, but as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your what? Conduct, actions, choices, behaviors. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Look on God, call on God as judge, as Father who judges. Conduct yourself with fear. So in the fear of God, choose holy conduct. Listen. Listen to me. Christ, uh, God is the judge of all of our conduct. But good news, God judged Jesus in our place. But don't, don't ever let that take away this, this stark reality that it was your behaviors, your choices, your sins that made Jesus get on that cross. Your, your transgressions tore the body of Christ apart that day. Your sins tore the body of Christ apart that day. Church, listen to me. Your sins will still tear apart the body of Christ. So approach God with fear and trembling, knowing that I don't want to do anything that's going to rip my family apart. You say, well, my, my sin's personal. My addictions are personal, Brady. It doesn't hurt. Me, me looking at, at raunchy stuff online, that, doesn't, that only hurts me. It's only my business, my problem. No, that's the lie of the devil. As Satan weakens you, he weakens the whole body. Do you see it? 30 years ago, I was working on a roof with my brother-in-law, and I got this little tiny sliver in my thumb. It got infected. The next morning I woke up, I had this red, bright red line shooting up my arm to my armpit. Like a blood infection or something. Now what if my thumb said, eh, I'm just the thumb. It's no big deal. 
It only affects me. What if my thumb had tried to say that to me? While every blood vessel in my body and my heart and my brain are all screaming, Go to the doctor! Get an antibiotic! Do you see it? What you do in private is not in private. It affects us all. In fear, choose holy conduct. But what is holiness? Let's review. What's holy conduct? It's the merger of grace and truth. It's the merger of justice and mercy. It's the merger of steadfast love and faithfulness. It's, it's the church saying, we're different. We're different. We're unique. We're not like you, world. And then going out into the world. That's holiness. That's holiness. Can we do this with each other, church? Can we do these four things? Can we help each other to, to know who we are in Christ? Can we help each other to set our minds on the hope of future grace when Christ returns? Can we let our desires challenge one another and our desires to be conformed to Christ? And in fear, can we choose as a body, as individuals, as members of a body, can we choose holy conduct? Can we do that? Of course we can. Of course, he wouldn't say it if we couldn't. We have everything we need. Second Peter will say, you have everything you need for life and for godliness. Do you believe that, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, again, you are the holy God. You are the judge. Your judgment upon Jesus tore him apart. And that was not because Jesus sinned. Please help us to understand that. As Peter says in, this, in, that, in that verse, it was for us. Jesus shed his precious blood for us. Not for himself, not for his own salvation, but for us. God, would you allow us to know what you call us, to know who you say we are. God, would you allow our minds to be renewed God, would you allow our desires to be changed? And God, would you allow us to choose holy conduct? All for your glory, not our own. God, I pray for the heart in here that's quit. Maybe they've been struggling with a sin and it's beat them up. day after day. I know what that's like. God set that person's mind on living hope. Set that person's mind on no condemnation. God set that person's mind on the beauty and love an acceptance of Jesus Christ. God, maybe there's somebody in here whose older brother in it 
Maybe every day they just compare themselves to the people they see on the news or the bad Christians or the, or the bad people. And, and as long as I'm better than them, God, as long as I'm better than them, God, would you destroy that stronghold in their mind? Would you show them that they may be even farther from you, farther from holiness? God, we want to love you. You're our dad. You're our father. We are the children of your obedience. Give us a deep love for you and for Jesus. Even though we don't see him, we love him. God, change us by this grace. Change us by your mercy. May your hope bring us holiness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.